Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 18, how Abraham bowed, worshipped, and called Jesus Christ Lord when he visited him, just as Jesus Christ visited many others when he was born later into human flesh. Now, this message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, are you interested in learning more about the Jewish people, their past, their present, their future? And how about more about the Lord Jesus Christ, or even from the Old Testament, more about the life of Joseph? Well, Tom Cantor's written a wonderful book, and it's about the life of Joseph. It's entitled, Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and the Future of the Jewish People Through the Life of Joseph. Now, this parallels the life of the Jewish people, the life of Joseph, and even the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows the hope, the pain, the trials, the suffering, and the exaltation of Joseph, the Jewish people, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing book, and we need your support for the Friendship with God radio program. So we're offering this book as our resource this month, and it's an opportunity for you to get an amazing Bible study book on the life of Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Jewish people. So for your donation and support of $20 or more, we'll send you this book today. Now you can call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. You can also go online to friendshipwithgod.org. Click on our resources and Tom Cantor's materials. You can order it through our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor continuing to teach us from Genesis chapter 18, how Abraham bowed, worshipped, and called Jesus Christ Lord when he visited him there on the plains of Mamre. So in Genesis 18 too, where we read about Abraham, that he bowed himself toward the ground as an act of worship, Abraham knew that one of those men was God, and that God alone is worthy to be worshipped. Then notice what Abraham did. He calls this man, who he knows is God, in verse eight, verse 3, and he said, My Lord. Abraham says, My Lord. That's how he calls him, My Lord. He called this man, My Lord. Only God is called Lord. Only God is called My Lord. So when Abraham knew that this man was God, Abraham called him my Lord. You know what the Hebrew is for my Lord? Anybody know? It's Adonai. Adonai. Adon is Lord and Adonai is my Lord. He says to him, Adonai. He says to him, Adonai. Because that's a name which is a special name and it's reserved. It's kept back that the only person who should ever be called Adonai, the only person who should ever be called my Lord is God alone. And Abraham knew that this man was God, and so he calls him Adonai, my Lord. And when the leper, who had to have God, he knew that Jesus was God, what he said in Matthew 8, 2, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, or my Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. So this leper knew that calling a person Adonai is reserved for God alone. And since he knew that Jesus was God, he uses that word, Adonai. And when a Roman centurion, who had to have God because his servant, he watched his servant and felt absolutely helpless as his servant went through grand mouths 
of epilepsy. And he knew that Jesus was God. And he says to him in Matthew 8, 5 through 6, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, and saying, Adonai, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. That centurion knew that calling a person that reserved name, Adonai, is for God alone. And since he knew that Jesus was God, he uses that name, Adonai. And the disciples, who are on the verge of dying at sea because they're in the midst of a big storm, and they knew that Jesus was God, they wake him up in Matthew 8.25, and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. That's another good prayer. Help us and save us. Both are good prayers. It's very simple. Lord, save us, we perish. So they use, they use. They knew that calling a person Adonai is reserved for God alone. But they knew that Jesus in their midst was God, so they used that name, Adonai. And Peter knew that Jesus was God, and he was walking on the water, and he says in Matthew 14, 28, and Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And so Peter, again, he knows that this is the word. This is a special word, Adonai. It's reserved for God. He knows that Jesus is God, so he calls him Adonai. And the Gentile Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, we talked about it, she knew that Jesus was God. And she says in Matthew 15, 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. That Canaanite woman, that Gentile Canaanite woman, calling a person Adonai, that's reserved for God alone. But she knew this was the right person to call Adonai because she knew that Jesus was God. And when Jesus tested her to make sure that she really did believe in the goodness of God, and he says in Matthew 15, 26-27, but he answered and said, it's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she says, truth, Adonai, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And when she said that, Jesus is stunned. He's astonished. And he says, I've been looking all over the Jewish people for that kind of faith, and I haven't found it. But this woman, because she knew that by calling him Adonai, that's reserved for God alone, she reaffirmed that Jesus was God, and that he was good. So the second time she calls him Adonai. So all these, along with Abraham, knew that calling a person Adonai, my Lord, is reserved for God alone. And when Abraham saw one of these three men, he would later be known to the world as Jesus. He knew that this man is God. And so Abraham became the leader of many others who would follow by calling that man, Jesus, Adonai. And as Abraham reserved the term Adonai for God alone, and as Abraham, in verse 3, called that man Adonai, we follow Abraham by using the term Lord for God alone. We follow him by calling the man Jesus Lord. You know, I don't like to say just Jesus. I don't like to say just Christ. I don't like to say just Jesus Christ, but following Abraham, I like to say with purpose and intention, the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the term that's reserved for God. One time I was down visiting my grandfather's, people who knew my grandfather in Richmond, Virginia, 
You know, they, they were part of the temple that he established, and they were still there. And I was visiting Lois, and she, I think I told you. Anyway, and I was visiting Lois, and she, with her southern accent, says, I can see your granddaddy coming down this walk to my house. <laughs> and he was a knife. He did circumcisions, and he uh, did ceremonial slaughtering of the uh, chickens, you know. It was a show kit. And so she so Lois says, I can see your granddaddy coming down my aisle right now to my house. You know, <laughs> she was, and I was sitting on the couch listening to her. And she was very captivating. She, and she turns to me and she said, and if he was here and she looked at me on her eyes <laughs> and she said, he would murder you. <laughs> and I felt that. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, and then I said, well, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, I, she, and then she said, now, you know, we Jewish people, we don't say the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and I said, I know that. <laughs> That's why I'm saying that. That's a name which reserved for God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I told that to another man, a Jewish man here in San Diego, down in La Jolla, when I said, You may have noticed, and we spent the day together, we're kind of friends, sort of friends, Joseph. And I said to him at the end, I says, You know, Joseph, I said, You may have noticed that I refer to him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I said that, he got so mad, he cuffed me right in the cheek, you know, he, he slugged me. But that's okay. But we still call him Lord, slugged or not. So now we see in verse 3 how Abraham says to this man, he knows his God. He says, my Lord Adonai, he says, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. So he says, if now I have found favor in thy sight. So we see in these words that Abraham is referring to some sort of past relationship with this person. This is not the first time that Abraham is seeing this person when he says, if I found favor in thy sight. A relationship that Abraham sees himself in, and the relationship is that Abraham sees himself as living in the sight of this person. What's this relationship that Abraham is referring to? It's the relationship that's referred to in the chapter before Genesis 17, 1, it says, When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So ever since the Almighty God said to Abraham, Walk in front of me. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Abraham has seen his life as walking before God. Abraham has seen himself as walking in front of God so that Abraham would be out front of God and he's in the sight of God. And so he's taken this command seriously, Abraham has. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And Abraham wants to know, how have I been doing? How am I doing? You told me to walk before you in your sight. How am I doing? Give me a report. How am I doing? And so he says, if now I have found favor in thy sight. That's like Abraham saying, how am I doing? How have I done? And notice in verse 3 how Abraham states his position with this man, who he knows to be God. And he says, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. He sees himself as a servant of this man. And notice in verse 5, again, he refers to himself as the servant of this man. He says, for therefore are you come to your servant. So Abraham calls himself the servant of this man he knows to be God. Now we really see something more of the heart of Abraham with this request that he has. He's got this burning desire inside of him, Abraham does. And he expresses his heart desire when he says to this man, he knows his God, he says, don't leave. He says, pass not away. Stay here, I pray thee from thy servant. That's the heart cry of Abraham. 
That's the heart cry of every believer and lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the heart cry of those that were walking on the road to Emmaus, where we read in Luke 24, 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, he opened it up, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, and neither whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. He made as though he was going to leave them. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. It's toward the evening, the way as far as spent. He went on to tarry them. It came to pass. He sat at meat with them. He took bread, blessed, break, gave to them. Their eyes were opened. They knew him. He vanished out of his sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. And this is Abraham. He's got the burning heart also. He's part of this burning heart club. And like all those disciples, we see the Lord Jesus Christ in all the scriptures, beginning in Moses and prophets. They were interested, as Abraham was interested. And they all say, pass not away. Don't leave. Don't go. And like all those disciples in Abraham, we feel that too. We feel like constraining him, saying, don't go, stay. And we've seen the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures, and we say, did not our hearts burn inside of us while he talked with us? By the way, while he opened to us the scriptures. Now, last week, Irene reminded me about something very important from this passage that I had overlooked. So thank you, Irene. Now, as you know, During the holidays, there are now, in the malls, Israelis. And they're selling anything they can sell. (laughs) That's what they do. But especially Dead Sea salts and things like that. And I remember on one occasion going up to an Israeli and asking him, trying to get a little traction, have you ever sinned? You know, such such a question. Have you ever sinned? And he looked like he had sinned. And so I asked him. I didn't ask the girl. She didn't look like she had sinned. But he looked like he really sinned. So I said, have you ever sinned? And he drops his head, and I'm thinking, oh, now it's going to come this tremendous confession. He's got, he's looking shameful, things like that. And he drops his head, and he says, yes. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be something. And he says, I ate a cheeseburger. (laughs) He had a cheeseburger, you know. I was thinking, okay, McDonald's should put this out there, you know. Here's a double sinful cheeseburger. Now, for most of us, now for most of us, we think he's got to be kidding. You know, he's like, a cheeseburger, big sin. And, um, you know, he didn't say I lied or did some other things. He said, I ate a cheeseburger, you know. <laughs> and we went, most of us don't understand. What do you mean you ate a cheeseburger, you know? Well, see, eating a cheeseburger is eating a dairy product, cheese, with a meat product together. See? Cheese, the dairy product, and meat eaten together is a sin, a great sin in the eyes of the Israelis, in the eyes of of religious Jews. They don't eat dairy and meat together. That's how the rabbis have perverted the concept of sin by the so-called milk and flesh laws, dietary laws, which have no basis in Scripture other than a twisted interpretation of a scripture that says, thou shalt not seeth or boil a kid in his mother's milk. Shouldn't boil a kid in his mother's milk. Which was the heathen practice at the beginning of the harvest to appease the false gods. You took the kid and you boiled it in his mother's milk to appease the false gods and make sure you're going to have a good harvest. See, Because that's why God said uh, in that context, you just bring your first fruits into the temple, but you don't go seething and boiling a kid in his mother's milk. But the rabbis, they've said, 
that that is such a far extensive statement that if you should ever eat milk and meat together, in your stomach somehow it's seething and uh, it's boiling in its mother's milk. And they've so deceived the Jewish people to think that it's a great sin to eat dairy and milk. And you think this is just a joke? It's not a joke. My dear religious friend in New Jersey, he just built a new house. And he was describing it to me. And the house, the kitchen down the middle is a mirror image of each other. And on one side is the sign says dairy. On the other side, the sign says meat. And each side of the kitchen has its own sink. And each side of the kitchen has its own pots and pans and dishes and that's the way it is. Why? Because it's a great sin to eat dairy and meat together, right? Well, if it's such a great sin to eat dairy products and meat together, then how come no one told Abraham that? <laughs> and how come God didn't know that when he came to earth as a man that he should never eat dairy products and meat products together? If it's such a great sin to eat dairy products and meat together then God who came to earth as a man would never have allowed Abraham to serve him dairy products and meat together. And that's why verse 18 is so important because it actually, if you look and you see what Abraham is doing and you look and you see what God is doing, when you see that, it has the power, verse 18, to break the deception of the dairy and the meat dietary law. Because verse 8 clearly shows and he took butter and milk and the calf, which he addressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the law, and they did eat, including God in the flesh. Abraham took butter and milk, dairy products, and the calf, a meat product, and set it before them, they did eat, and God in the flesh ate dairy and meat together. So if eating dairy and meat is good enough for God, it's good enough for us. Cheeseburgers are okay. <laughs> so verse 18 Tells us clearly there's no such thing as the milk and meat laws from God. They're a fabrication. Now, notice how in verse 8 it ends with the sin really is. Now, notice how in verse 8 it ends with these words, and they did eat. You know, there's nothing like eating together. I mean, that's a great breaking bread. That's such a wonderful activity. I love to do that. You know, that friendly activity, you you know, conversation, laughing. In about 25 years at Scannabodies, we never had a restaurant cafeteria. But then we opened in Takati, La Vina, and that just totally transformed the company. We couldn't believe it. I mean, we called the place the restaurant of light and life, and the room has all these arch ceilings, and, and it's just flooded with all this light, and it's surrounded by 17 of these bronze plaques of Scripture. And when the place is full of employees at those round tables... It just vibrates with life. I mean, it's a, the first thing you hear when you walk in. It's kind of noisy because there's laughing and talking and, you know. And it changed the company. We had no idea how that restaurant would change the company. And we told Olivia, who's our dietitian who runs the restaurant, that we wanted to be a happy place of good food. And so Olivia put on good food, comfort food, high-calorie food. <laughs> and we noticed our employees get bigger and bigger, you know. <laughs> they go to the company clinic, and they were where the scale was showing. They're getting bigger and bigger, you know. So then we went back to Olivia, and we said, change the menu, you know, bring down the weights of the staff. So she put the salad bar on. We started a walking program and a weight loss competition. I didn't participate. But the point is that the restaurant changed the company because we found that eating food together brings people together. And it breaks down barriers and encourages them to laugh and open up. And it's not just lunch. 
It's openness. It's friendship. It's laughter. No one comes to the restaurant in a stoic silence and sits there and eats his lunch and then gets up and walks up. They open up and they start eating in Japan. We do business in Japan. And during the day at the business meeting, so it's kind of difficult sometimes really to find out in a business meeting, they're the customers, we're the supplier, and to find out, you know, what people are really thinking. For example, you know, like us, we're the supplier, and you come to the conference room for a business meeting in Japan, and you want to make a proposal, and the head person hasn't arrived yet. And so before the head person arrives, you want to find out what does each person think, you know? So you kind of go around and you get their opinion. What do you think? You get their opinion. And then in walks the head person, and then you go around again and you ask them, well, what do you think? And they all say they agree with him. (laughs) So very frustrating. Then you go to dinner and you eat together, and that's where you really find out what everybody thinks. Because everyone opens up at dinner in Japan. They actually they have a term for it in Japan. It's called the after five dinner meeting. So we always say, well, we'll discuss that at the after five dinner meeting. You know? <laughs> and sometimes you say that. So well, let's talk about that at the after five. Because that's where real business happens in Japan. That's where you really find out what people think. And that's why there's a particular phrase that you don't use during the business meetings of the day, but you use it in the after five uh, dinner meeting, and that phrase is, frankly speaking, that means tell the truth. (laughs) Frankly speaking, what do you think? Frankly speaking, what is the percent probability of the success of this proposal? Because in doing business in Japan, frankly speaking means open up, tell it straight in the after five dinner meeting while you're eating. And no one comes to those dinners in a stoic silence and eats his dinner and gets up and goes home. They open up. Sometimes they open up too much, but that's okay. And if they don't open up, then I'll encourage them to open up. And I'll eat a little more to encourage them to open up. And by eating more, I become an encourager for them to open up. That's how I got fat, you see. (laughs) It was a sacrifice (laughs) to encourage people to open up. Anyway, so when we read at the end of verse 8, and they did eat, We're not seeing in those words a time of stoic silence. They were eating and talking and being very open and being very friendly and transparent. And no one at that time of eating in verse 8 was in this stoic silence and just finished eating, got up and left. No, No, not at all. This is a time of openness, transparency, and honesty. And our staff in Takati don't just go to the restaurant and eat. And in Japan, when I invite the customers to the after-five dinner meeting, I'm inviting them to a meeting of transparency, of openness, of honesty. And when Abraham invited these men to eat with him under that tree, in verse 4, Abraham was inviting them to a meeting of openness, transparency, and honesty. And when the Lord Jesus Christ stands and invites us, as he does, every morning to a meeting with him where he says in Revelations 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And he's inviting each one of us to a morning devotion time with him of openness, transparency, and honesty. And each one of us should respond to that invitation by the Lord Jesus Christ to come to our morning devotion times just as our employees come to lunch in the restaurant, just like the Japanese business people come to the after-five dinner meeting, like Abraham's three guests came under the tree in verse 8, all come with the intention of being open and transparent and honest, and that's how we should come.
to our morning time. Open, transparent, and honest. Not all closed up in some stoic religiosity. Not coming to, oh, what time is it? And how much do I have to spend here? (laughs) You know, and how many chapters do I have to read in this big book? You know, or what routine prayers can I say and God will be happy? You know, it's a time of not copying someone else or of being closed or being stoic. It's a time like eating, of being honest and saying, you know, there's some sin I need to deal with. Well, I need to use that promise in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we've got fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just. He'll do it, he'll do it. Forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, Tom Cantor, the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, is sending out missionaries again door-to-door to the Jewish people. We've sent out hundreds and hundreds of missionaries the past three years and reached millions and millions of lost Jewish people with the gospel by bringing them gospel Jewish materials and putting them in their hands one-on-one, door-to-door, and street-to-street in 18 different Jewish cities, reaching Orthodox, Hasidic, Reformed, and religious Jewish people, even atheists, that are in these Jewish communities, we go door-to-door and reach them, put the gospel in their hands. If you'd like to be a part of that and support reaching God's lost chosen nation of brethren, call us today at 800-247-3051 and support Jewish evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or again, call us to support Jewish evangelism, 800 800- 247 3051 800 247 3051